This is section 26 of Mark Twain, A Biography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, A Biography by Albert Bigelow Payne. Volume 1, Part 1, 1835 to 1866. Chapter 26 The Tragedy of the Pennsylvania. Captain Kleinfelter obtained his steersman a pass on the A.T. Lacey, which left two days behind the Pennsylvania. This was pleasant, for Bart Bowen had become captain of the fine ship. The Lacey touched at Greenville, Mississippi, and a voice from the landing shouted, "'The Pennsylvania is blown up just below Memphis at Ship Island. One hundred and fifty lives lost.' Nothing further could be learned there, but that evening at Napoleon a Memphis extra reported some of the particulars. Henry Clemens' name was mentioned as one of those who had escaped injury. Still farther up the river they got a later extra. Henry was again mentioned, this time as being scalded beyond recovery. By the time they reached Memphis they knew most of the details. At six o'clock that warm mid-June morning, while loading wood from a large flat boat sixty miles below Memphis, four out of eight of the Pennsylvania's boilers had suddenly exploded with fearful results. All the forward end of the boat had been blown out. Many persons had been killed outright. Many more had been scalded and crippled and would die. It was one of those hopeless wholesale steamboat slaughters which for more than a generation had made the Mississippi a river of death and tears. Samuel Clemens found his brother stretched upon a mattress on the floor of an improvised hospital, a public hall, surrounded by more than thirty others more or less desperately injured. He was told that Henry had inhaled steam, and that his body was badly scalded. His case was considered hopeless. Henry was one of those who had been blown into the river by the explosion. He had started to swim for the shore, only a few hundred yards away, but presently, feeling no pain and believing himself unhurt, he had turned back to assist in the rescue of the others. What he did after that could not be clearly learned. The vessel had taken fire. The rescued were being carried aboard the big wood boat still attached to the wreck. The fire soon raged so that the rescuers and all who could be saved were driven into the wood flat, which was then cut adrift and landed. There the sufferers had to lie in the burning sun many hours until help could come. Henry was among those who were insensible by that time. Perhaps he had really been uninjured at first, and had been scalded in his work of rescue. It will never be known. His brother, hearing these things, was thrown into the deepest agony and remorse. He held himself to blame for everything, for Henry's presence on the boat, for his advice concerning safety of others, for his own absence when he might have been there to help and protect the boy. He wanted to telegraph at once to his mother and sister to come but the doctors persuaded him to wait. Just why he never knew. He sent word of the disaster to Orion, who by this time had sold out in Keokuk and was in East Tennessee studying law. Then he set himself to the all but hopeless task of trying to bring Henry back to life. Many Memphis ladies were acting as nurses, and one, a Miss Wood, attracted by the boy's youth and striking features, joined in the desperate effort. 
Some medical students had come to assist the doctors, and one of these also took special interest in Henry's case. Dr. Peyton, an old Memphis practitioner, declared that with such care the boy might pull through. But on the fourth night he was considered to be dying. Half delirious with grief and the strain of watching, Samuel Clemens wrote to his mother and to his sister-in-law in Tennessee. The letter to Orion Clemens' wife has been preserved. Memphis, Tennessee, Friday, June 18, 1858 Dear Sister Molly, Long before this reaches you, my poor Henry, my darling, my pride, my glory, my all, will have finished his blameless career, and the light of my life will have gone out in utter darkness. The horrors of three days have swept over me. They have blasted my youth and left me an old man before my time. Molly, there are gray hairs in my head tonight. For forty-eight hours I labored at the bedside of my poor burned and bruised but uncomplaining brother, and then the star of my hope went out and left me in the gloom of despair. Men take me by the hand and congratulate me and call me lucky because I was not on the Pennsylvania when she blew up. May God forgive them, for they know not what they say. I was on the Pennsylvania five minutes before she left New Orleans, and I must tell you the truth, Molly, three hundred human beings perished by that fearful disaster, but may God bless Memphis, the noblest city on the face of the earth. She has done her duty by these poor afflicted creatures, especially Henry, for he has had five, I ten, fifteen, twenty times the care and attention that anyone else has had. Dr. Peyton, the best physician in Memphis, he is exactly like the portraits of Webster, sat by him for thirty-six hours. There are thirty-two scalded men in that room, and you would know Dr. Peyton better than I can describe him if you could follow him around and hear each man murmur as he passes, May the God of heaven bless you, doctor. The ladies have done well, too. Our second mate, a handsome, noble-hearted young fellow, will die. Yesterday a beautiful girl of fifteen stooped timidly down by his side and handed him a pretty bouquet. The poor suffering boy's eyes kindled, his lips quivered out a gentle, God bless you, miss, and he burst into tears. He made them write her name 
on a card for him that he might not forget it pray for me molly and pray for my poor sinless brother your unfortunate brother samuel l clemens p s i got here two days after henry but alas this was not all nor the worst it would seem that samuel clemens cup of remorse must be always overfull the final draft that would embitter his years was added the sixth night after the accident the night that henry died he could never bring himself to write it he was never known to speak of it but twice henry had rallied soon after the foregoing letter had been mailed and improved slowly that day and the next dr peyton came around about eleven o'clock on the sixth night and made careful examination he said i believe he is out of danger and will get well he is likely to be restless during the night the groans and fretting of the others will disturb him if he cannot rest without it tell the physician in charge to give him one-eighth of a grain of morphine the boy did wake during the night and was disturbed by the complaining of the other sufferers his brother told the young medical student in charge what the doctor had said about the morphine but morphine was a new drug then the student hesitated saying i have no way of measuring i don't know how much an eighth of a grain would be henry grew rapidly worse more and more restless his brother was half beside himself with the torture of it he went to the medical student if you have studied drugs he said you ought to be able to judge an eighth of a grain of morphine the young man's courage was overswayed he yielded and ladled out in the old-fashioned way on the point of a knife-blade what he believed to be the right amount henry immediately sank into a heavy sleep he died before morning his chance of life had been infinitesimal and his death was not necessarily due to the drug but samuel clemens unsparing in his self-blame all his days carried the burden of it he saw the boy taken to the dead room then the long strain of grief the days and nights without sleep the ghastly realization of the end overcame him a citizen of memphis took him away in a kind of daze and gave him a bed in his house where he fell into a stupor of fatigue and surrender it was many hours before he woke when he did at last he dressed and went to where henry lay the coffin provided for the dead were of unpainted wood but the youth and striking face of henry clemens had aroused a special interest the ladies of memphis had made up a fund of sixty dollars and bought for him a metallic case samuel clemens entering saw his brother lying exactly as he had seen him in his dream lacking only the bouquet of white flowers with its crimson center a detail made complete while he stood there for at that moment an elderly lady came in with a large white bouquet and in the center of it was a single red rose orion arrived from tennessee and the brothers took their sorrowful burden to st louis subsequently to hannibal his old home the death of this lovely boy was a heavy sorrow to the community where he was known for he had been a favorite with all 
For a fine characterization of Henry Clemens, the reader is referred to a letter written by Orion Clemens to Miss Wood. See Appendix A at the end of the last volume. From Hannibal, the family returned to Pamela's home in St. Louis. There, one night, Orion heard his brother moaning and grieving and walking the floor of his room. By and by, Sam came in to where Orion was. He could endure it no longer, he said. He must tell somebody. Then he poured all the story of that last tragic night. It has been set down here because it accounts for much in his afterlife. It magnified his natural compassion for the weakness and blunders of humanity, while it increased the poor opinion implanted by the Scotchman Macfarlane of the human being as a divine invention. Two of Mark Twain's chief characteristics were consideration for the human species and contempt for it. In many ways he never overcame the tragedy of Henry's death. He never really looked young again. Gray hairs had come, as he said, and they did not disappear. His face took on the serious, pathetic look which from that time it always had in repose. At twenty-three he looked thirty. At thirty he looked nearer forty. After that the discrepancy in age and looks became less notable. In vigor, complexion, and temperament he was regarded in later life as young for his years, but never in looks. End of chapter 26 The Tragedy of the Pennsylvania Read by John Greenman